2: Hello, it's Claire here. If you live near Bristol, there's still time to grab a ticket to Money Clinic's live recording at the Bristol Festival of Economics on Thursday, November the 16th, where I'll be talking inflation, money and markets with Sarah O'Connor, the FT columnist and Susanna Streeter, financial expert from Hargreaves Lansdowne. Go to ft.com slash Bristol to get your ticket. There's a link in today's show notes. As for today's episode, we're rerunning a cracker from our back catalogue that first aired in July. The world of investments is unhelpfully full of three-letter acronyms, and if you've been looking into investing in the past few years, you can't have missed one that comes up time and time again. I'm talking about ETFs, or exchange-traded funds. Buying into one has been one of the biggest investment trends of the past decade – But if you think ETFs, WTF, this show is for you. Welcome to Money Clinic, the weekly podcast from the Financial Times about personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, the FT's consumer editor. In this episode, we're going to be demystifying ETFs. Should you invest in one? And how do you go about choosing which ETFs to invest in? And what sort of charges can you expect? I'm joined by two experts in the studio. Firstly, Lynn Hutchinson, who's head of ETF and index solutions at Charles Stanley. Lovely to have you with us today, Lynn. Thank you. Nice to be here. And I'm also joined by my colleague, Dave Baxter, who is the funds editor at the Investors Chronicle magazine, the sister publication of the FT. Welcome, Dave.
0: Hi, Claire. Thanks for having me.
2: Well, first of all, my usual disclaimer on Money Clinic, we are going to be talking about investments and investing, but these are opinions, it's not intended as individual advice or indeed a recommendation that you should buy or not buy a particular investment. You need to do your own research, as always. But Dave, let's start with you. Now, for somebody who's never heard of an ETF and is thinking WTF, (laughs) what, what are they? What's your explanation?
0: So basically, an ETF is kind of a, a portfolio or a basket of um, stocks or different kind of investments. So you're putting your money into that and you're getting exposure to a, a whole range of um, different investments Focused normally focused on a sort of established market. So something like the FTSE 100 in the UK or the S&P 500 in the US.
2: Mm. Now, we're getting into... Yep. kind of alphabet soup. Of ETFs, yep. So you've got the different indexes um, around the world um, that you can buy into, but you've also got some bits of jargon that really describes how these kind of investments work, whether they pay an income to investors, whether they're authorised by a particular jurisdiction. We're going to be covering some of those acronyms later on in the show. But just give people an idea of the kind of brand names, the the sort of companies who are making these envelopes or ETFs full of different shares for investors to easily buy.
0: Yep. So you have, um, in terms of the actual indices, the things that the funds will invest in, uh, one of the really big names is MSCI. Um, and they basically compose um, some of these big, uh, I suppose, lists of um, stocks to cover a given region. So for example, they construct the MSEI World Index, which covers lots of kind of different global stocks. Um, Another index um, composer is FTSE, as I mentioned. You have the FTSE 100, uh, the FTSE All Share, and then you also have um, S&P. And I suppose another kind of brand to mention is iShares, Mm -hmm. um, which is part of BlackRock, which people may have heard of, which is a fund management giant. And it's worth looking for these kind of established names because there has been a kind of first mover advantage in the industry and some of the more established names have kind of um, taken in lots of money. They have really big funds and big funds are generally speaking better just because they can be cheaper to trade and it kind of reduces your overall cost of investing.
2: Okay. Okay. Now, you've just written an article um, for the Investors Chronicle. People can read it for free online if they register using the the link in the show notes today. And you have looked at the top 50 ETFs that you and a panel of experts, including Lynn, have picked that you think investors could use as the basis to form their own research about how they might build their own portfolio using ETFs as the building blocks. And Mm. again, I like that analogy, the building blocks. Tell us a bit more about that.
0: So yeah, we we think ETFs are really good as kind of the building blocks of your portfolio. They can give you those kind of main exposures. Like I said, you might want US equities or you might want um, UK exposure. And then you can perhaps fiddle on the side and do more specific investments, whether you pick your own shares or whether you buy a so-called active fund where someone kind of tries to pick the best stocks. But in terms of the list, we have basically try to identify those funds that are kind of um, cheapest, that um, track the most relevant index, and as I mentioned, have things like quite significant size in order to reduce your overall um, cost of investing. But we, for the last few years, we've kind of broken the list into three main categories. Mm. Um, So the first one is core. So core ETFs are I've mentioned some of those really established markets like the S&P 500. And, you know, that can be a really big part of your portfolio. Um, And those are quite simple ETFs. You want to go for big names. You want to go for something that's very cheap. And normally with those ETFs, you shouldn't expect to pay something more than, say, 0.1% in terms of a, a headline fee. So it should be pretty cheap stuff. Uh, the next category is Satellite. So this is more specific kinds of funds. So this might be a fund that deliberately targets dividends. Um, it might be a fund that targets smaller companies. And then we have a very small niche category, um, which covers commodities. So you want your gold exposure, say you want exposure to oil, and also covers, um, they've been, I suppose, quite in vogue in recent years, um, thematic ETFs. So they they focus on trends such as the aging population. I loved the, that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that ha- that has lots of, for example, healthcare stocks and um, financial stocks as well. Um, but yeah, that that's the structured list. So core should generally be your kind of first pause of call because those are your main exposures. And then when you want something a bit more interesting, a bit more specific to your needs, you can go for more esoteric ETFs.
2: Brilliant. We talk a lot on the Money Clinic podcast about passive investing, investing when you're tracking an index and using index funds to do that. But how are ETFs different?
0: So it's basically a structural difference. Um, So ETFs have shares that are traded on the stock market, whereas um, what we call an index fund will have units and you're ultimately giving a fund manager money and they're giving you a unit. But that's not traded on our stock markets. But I would say in terms of the practical difference for an investor, there are probably two things to consider. Mm. One is um, if you're going for an index fund and you want to buy and sell, that can sometimes take a few days and there is a bit of a wait. Whereas with an ETF, because you're simply trading uh, on the stock market, that can be much quicker. So if you do want to quickly make a decision, if you think the S&P is going to you know, rise by 20% because X development has happened, then maybe an ETF is quicker, but it can tempt you to trade more, which can uh, incur more costs. And the second important difference relates to charges. Mm. So particularly if you look at the more established platforms, say something like Hargreaves Lansdowne, they will levy different platform charges um, depending on whether you're holding what they call funds, which in this case would be index funds, Or if you're holding shares, which would be ETFs or investment trusts, if you're thinking about um, active funds. Sure. So So you just need
2: to be really aware of what are the fees that your platform charges and for what.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You just have to pay a lot of attention to that, how platforms charge differently and of course, how much they actually are charging.
2: Okay. well, we'll be delving much deeper into the world of ETFs with Dave and Lynn shortly. But first, let's hear from Serenya. She got in touch with Money Clinic because she's keen to know more about investing in ETFs. She's 38, originally from India, but now lives in Vienna with her husband and young child.
1: I'm an engineer, generally not afraid of mathematics or numbers. But Mm. until I think four or five years ago, I basically did nothing with my money other than keep it in my bank account.
2: And when did you start investing? What led you to do that?
1: So I moved to Vienna in 2014, Mm. and a year after that, my bank contacted me and said, you have quite a lot of money in your bank, so can you invest in something?
2: Now, that call prompted Serena to read up about the stock market on FT.com, and she's now aiming to move the money that she's built up in her long-term savings into investments. And the way she's looking to do that is by using ETFs. But as Serena is finding, there are actually a lot to choose
1: from. Say I want to buy an ETF tracking a certain index, and I find that there are twenty ETFs that do the same thing. Mm-hmm. How do I find out which one I should uh, pick? Is it the total expense ratio, or is it something else that makes one ETF better than the other?
2: And is the cheapest always the
1: best? Oh yeah, <laughs> I assumed it should be, but <laughs> good to know.
2: Well, Lynn, we'll be hearing your insider knowledge shortly. But firstly, Dave, let's stick with you. So. If listeners like Serenya have decided that ETFs are the way that they want to build up their portfolio, what kind of things do they need to consider before they start building it up? I mean, the platform that they're going to use seems an obvious place to start.
0: Yeah, so the platform's very important. And you can do research online into kind of the different charges they will have on ETFs and, you know, the kind of level of choice that there is available when it comes to picking ETFs. Um, so that's a very important first step. Um, then when you've chosen a platform, you would need to set up your accounts. Um, and in the UK, for example, you could start a stocks and shares ISA, or you could have a so-called you know SIP, self-invested personal pension, um, if that's more the kind of area you want to go into. Um, once you've kind of handled those practical elements, um, you perhaps need to think more about portfolio construction and, you know, what the industry calls asset allocation. So that's basically the exposure you have to different markets, different geographies, and to an extent to different what they call asset classes, which is things like stocks versus bonds versus commodities. Um, and yeah, as, as I kind of, as we discussed, you have core ETFs, they're probably your first port of call because you want to get those kind of exposures to those main markets um, from the US to Asia to the UK. And once you've done that, and that's the kind of bulk of your portfolio, you can then start thinking about more specific things that you want to do um, within your portfolio. But speaking of um, asset allocation, I think it is worth noting that when we talk about these big markets, there are some kind of skews, there are some Mm. um, idiosyncrasies, as perhaps a polite way to put it. With the S&P 500, for example, that has done enormously well in the last decade that has trounced all the other markets. But there are valid concerns about the fact that it's so reliant on the big tech stocks, you know, things like Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, and so on. You know, if you look at, for example, an S&P 500 tracker, then the two biggest constituents recently were kind of Apple and Microsoft. And they made up something like 14, 15% of of that fund.
2: So you think you're buying into a diversified fund of 500 different US shares, but actually two of them account for getting on for a fifth of the exposure. So if Apple's new... Uh, virtual reality headset bombs. <laughs> then you know that could could have an outsized impact on on the performance of that ETF, despite the number of funds within the envelope.
0: Yeah. So we we hail the kind of diversification benefits of ETFs, but you do have to recognize the fact that you know it's not always as diversified as you think. Um, an important point, a related point, is about the uh, kind of global ETFs you might buy, so the MSCI World Index. Sounds wonderfully international and global, but actually if you had looked recently, then it would have something like between, I think it's two-thirds or maybe even approaching 70% um, in the US markets. Wow. And then you look at the US market, and as we discussed, that's so dominated mm. by those those few big stocks.
2: Okay, Lynn, let's bring you in here. Now, you described yourself in the podcast green room earlier as an ETF geek. But tell us what you get up to in your job.
3: Uh, My day-to-day role is selecting ETFs and index funds for our investment managers and community to use in client portfolios or for clients to select uh, to use themselves.
2: So you've got a keen nose when it comes to sniffing out ETFs that look good value and those that don't pass the test. Uh, That's hopefully the case. Well, Serenya has been surprised about the choice of ETFs that's available out there from your perspective, how can investors go about selecting which of these funds to invest in?
3: When looking at ETFs, if you're a European investor, it's important to know that for a lot of the US domiciled ETFs, as a UK retail investor or an individual investor, you can't actually invest into these US domiciled ETFs. So they're ones that you
2: can move out of your selection straight away. So then, if you're investing from the UK or in Europe, what you want to look out for is another acronym, USITS, that stands for Undertakings for Collective Investment in Transferable Securities. And Lynn, that basically means
3: that if you're an individual investor, particularly in the UK, that they're eligible for investment into your portfolio. Excellent. They're regulated investments. Okay. So, so you can narrow it down to then. And, and then the first thing you need to do is look at the indexes that are being tracked by
2: the ETFs. And how could an investor like Serenia look under the bonnet and find out what's actually in an ETF?
3: Well, the good thing with ETFs is they're very transparent. So the, the big providers of ETFs, their websites are great and their web pages for each of the ETFs are very good. They so have a fund fact sheet. Uh, there's a fun fact sheet, but they also give uh, transparency that you can you know, download a full list of the holdings. You can see exactly how much weight you've got in sectors, um, how much weight you've got in individual holdings and in countries.
2: So, Serenia said she views ETFs as a safe and easy way of investing without a great deal of knowledge. But Lynn You've got some tips for people who are looking at different ETFs so that they can compare the relative attributes. Now, the first thing that you think investors should look at when comparing similar ETFs are the fees and charges. Now, often another three-letter acronym is used to describe these, which is…
3: An OCF. Okay, and tell me what Or, is. or a TER. So some people call it a TER. Some people call it an OCF. Decipher for us, please. So, so there's an ongoing uh, charges, which is an OCF, and, and the TER is the total expense ratio. They're effectively the same thing.
2: Okay, and how how is this expressed? Uh, so this is expressed in
3: a percentage. So, a 100 ETF can have an OCF or a TER of 0.07%. So that's a very small amount. Yeah, 0.07% on the value of your investments
2: you will pay within the ETF. Okay. Now, obviously that's very cheap, but then if you've got lots of different funds that you're putting against each other, and that's the the column, if you like, that you're comparing, very easy to see one might be charging 0.09. But your point is, don't always assume that the cheapest is... The best there are other things you should be looking at too
3: yeah uh, and one of the major ones is uh looking at how the etf tracks against its index so effectively the performance so what how they should show on the websites when all the fact sheets when you look and see what the performance has been is the etf should track exactly the same as what the index return is less the ocf so yeah if the footy ETF has returned 1% and the index itself has returned 1.07%, 1. 1. then that's good because all
2: the difference is, is the OCF 0.07%. But if it's very different, then again, that There's, could be a warning there, sign. It's a warning sign, yes. Okay, now let's hear a little bit more from Serena. Now, she lives in Austria, so her income is in euros she invested in some dollar-denominated ETFs and found she was getting charged an awful lot for the exchange rate.
1: In every transaction I lose money because I have to pay this foreign exchange commission. Is it possible at all to
2: avoid this fee? Finally, Serena had a question around dividends.
1: I've noticed that there are two listings for the same index that I wish to track offered by the same ETF provider. One is dividend paying and another one is accumulating and um, don't know what the difference
2: is. Okay, Lynn and Dave, it's over to you again. Let's start off with this question of foreign exchange because obviously Serenia is in Austria, but most of our listeners will be in the UK. Why are so many ETFs listed in dollars? And what are the factors that investors have to consider with these extra currency charges?
3: No, it depends on what platform or bank you're using to trade. And you know, a lot of platforms will give you the option of whether you want to pay for that trade in euros or sterling or or dollars. It's just restrictions on the platforms or the banks rather than the actual products itself. Mm. You look for better banks to pay more interest on your cash. This is similar to that. This is your money. You need to use
2: your due diligence and make sure you're getting value for money. Well, that's the exchange rate issue dealt with. But Dave, I noticed in your top 50 ETFs list, some of the options were currency hedged. So UK investors say buying a US fund could try and reduce some of the volatility. Explain how that might work.
0: Yeah, that's that's very important. So currency movements can kind of knock your portfolio around a bit, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. So say you're a sterling investor holding again an S&P 500 ETF then if sterling strengthened against the dollar that's actually a negative because it diminishes the sterling value of that dollar return so it lessens what you're getting if you're if you're not hedged
2: so it's like when you're coming back from holiday, yeah, <laughs> you've got dollars on the aeroplane, and then when you convert them back into pounds when you when you get home, it's not as as, as good a deal as when you first went out on holiday. Well, that's the way I think of it,, yeah. anyway.
0: so personally and and some people disagree with me, but I, I always think that it's actually better to do the slightly boring alternative approach of diversifying by geography because in theory, over time, those currency fluctuations should simply even themselves out. Mm. But, if, but I suppose if you do have a really strong view and you think sterling's going to, you know, rocket or that kind of thing, then that could be an option.
2: Now, let's talk about charges more broadly. Now, of course, one of the reasons that investors are attracted to ETFs is because the cost of investing is very low. They're a cheap way of building up a portfolio. But Dave, there are some fees and charges that investors still nevertheless need to keep a close eye on?
0: Yeah, so the main two things are the kind of funds fee and the um, platforms fee as well. That that can make a big difference to your end returns, what you're getting charged. But there are some other um, costs. There's, you know, transaction costs, which relate to kind of the, the costs of trading. You can look for that, but you need to dig around a bit. Um, and that's why there are things like, for example, our top 50 ETFs list because we go through the whole kind of market and what's on offer with a a panel of very experienced, you know, experts. And, you know, we look for things like, as I mentioned, the kind of bigger funds, which should offer those economies of scale and should be kind of cheaper to invest in.
2: Now, finally, let's move on to this topic of dividends. Serena's noticed that for lots of the ETFs she's interested to invest in, there are two different types. One, labelled income, which pays a dividend, and one that's labelled accumulation. Inc and ACK, to use the three-letter acronyms that often flash up on fund websites. Now, Lynn, could you have a go explaining the difference between INC and ACK, please. Yes, of course. So, dividends, or as they're known, income
3: share classes, pay the investor distribution yields, which has been received from the underlying equities or bonds on a regular basis. And these are usually paid out to investors on a quarterly or six-monthly basis. Accumulation share classes reinvest the distribution yields received from the underlying equities or bonds, back into the ETF or the fund, rather than paying out to the investors.
2: Okay, so if you wanted to be taking an income from your investments, maybe in retirement... Use the income. You would use the income, so you'd get money paid out to you every quarter or every six months. But if you're somebody who's investing for the long term, like Serenia is, then the accumulation would be better because those dividends are being reinvested into buying more stocks so that should help your investment compound over time
3: yeah if you don't need the income now rather than getting drips and drabs then it's probably best to
2: use the accumulation share class. fantastic and Finally Lynn have you got any other ETF tips for, for listeners that you'd like to leave us with My main points would be to make
3: sure as an investor to do your due diligence on the ETF or the product that you've chose the index that it's tracking but also the platforms as well make sure the platform's the right one for you uh that you're not being charged too much and that it holds the investments that you're looking to invest in
2: And what about you Dave
0: Well we we do our list kind of every year and perhaps that is generally a good Point at which to review your portfolio, look at it every 12 months, um, look at the ETFs you're holding. Have you, you know, do you have much more in the US now because it's performed well? Is it as kind of balanced as you want? And you need to um,
2: readjust.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Do you need to sort of recalibrate things?
2: Well, thank you so much there to Lynn Hutchinson from Charles Stanley and to David Baxter from the Investors Chronicle.
3: And thanks for having me, Claire.
0: Thank you for having me.
2: That's it for Money Clinic with me, Claire Barrett, this week, and we hope you like what you've heard. If you did, spread the word and leave us a review. We're always looking to chat with people about their money issues for the show, so if you're interested in being part of a future episode and are looking for some expert advice, then email us, our address, money at ft.com. You could also take a peek at our website, ft.com slash money, grab a copy of the FT Weekend newspaper, or follow me on Instagram. I'm at Claire B. Money Clinic was produced in London by Persis Love. Our sound engineer is Breen Turner and our editor is Manuela Saragosa. You heard original tunes this week by Metaphor Music. And finally, our usual disclaimer, the Money Clinic podcast is a general discussion around financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. That is the small print for now. See you back here next week. Goodbye.